What is up, everybody? Sean Sheehan back here with another edition of The Sheehan Show for Sherdog.com. And today, uh, it's a little bit different from my usual shows. I'm not going to be doing a massive preview of the card this weekend. Um... But I will look at the main event in the second half of the show today because, uh, look, we, we, um, the, the great guys over at uh, Shillin' and Duffy will be doing a, a, um, a preview of this whole card. And I was look, look, I was looking through, and I'm sure they'll discuss it as well. It's not the best card in the world, but it is a fantastic main event, and I feel like it's a main event that I really want to concentrate on and talk about. Uh, I'm here early in Ireland and uh, and the morning time here, and I spent my whole morning watching, going back watching fights of Sean Strickland, Jack Hermanson, and honestly, I think this is a fantastic matchup in terms of fighter A versus fighter B, and I'll get into that in the second half. But I want to talk about next week's uh, UFC main event, that one. But I also want to talk about the last UFC main event, and specifically Francis Ngannou. And I mentioned it last week uh, that I would talk about this topic, so now is the time, and here we go. And uh, look, uh, my views on the Francis Ngannou topic are pretty much the same as everyone else, with one very different caveat, maybe. And I will tell you about my views that are kind of the same as everyone else first, and then tell you about maybe the second part, and a bit of realism, maybe, added to the whole situation. Like, whenever we're talking about situations like uh, what Francis Ngannou is, is doing now, or the, or the Mark Hunt lawsuit, or the uh, you know the, the other lawsuits which are, are going on with the UFC. Um, we always, I feel in the media and the fans and everything, we, we always get behind them in, in a very strong way, at least for a time. You know, some of these lawsuits have gone on like four or five years, and, you know, MMA, everyone listening to this knows it's a very short-term type of sport, and it's very hard to get behind those things all of the time. But we just kind of rally in behind it because we know that they are on the right track or trying to do the right thing. Like, maybe you, you don't agree with the Aliak coming into MMA, but I think everyone would probably agree that fighters deserve to be paid more. Maybe you don't agree with the way Francis is doing it, but he wants to get paid more and he's trying to fight to get more, and I think everyone wants to do that. Or any of the other situations that have happened now through years, you know, the Mark Hunt one a little bit different, obviously, because it's, it's a different thing to pay, but you get what I mean. You know, we roll in behind it. As we should, you know, the the MMA associations that were, you know, Bar Bjorn Ribney tried to start and, you know, there was other ones as well. Everyone was like, great, we should all be, you know, we should be doing this. MMA fighters should be doing this. They should be standing up. They should be fighting to get more money. And we all rolled in behind it. And we should. And we should do it even more. Um, look, a, a big issue with that, obviously, is none of them have been successful in any sort of meaningful way. Um I've kind of, I've posed the question that would it take the UFC to actually do it for it to be successful? And I think it might, but obviously, you know, they're not going to go against their interests. But it's, uh, look, it, it's a very tough thing to do. It's not easy, but we should always appreciate when someone is brave enough to stand up and speak. And specifically Francis Ngannou. Uh, I went and I, I watched his interview with Ariel and it was, it was fantastic. Look, parts of it were obviously very, um... Uh, you know, if anyone has watched uh, uh, Game of Thrones, this they have this phrase "sweet summer child." It's when you're like you've maybe never seen this before, or never been down that road. And it feels a little bit like Francis Ngannou's is like that. You know, he's a little bit naive to the situation, um, but he's in the middle of that situation and he's trying. You know, people have tried before, but 
has the heavyweight champion of the world like this tried in such an outwardly way? I know Stipe kind of held out and he waited for a better fight and he waited for more money before, but I don't think he was going on shows uh, like the MMA or talking to Ariel or, you know, kind of openly in a dispute with Dana White in the UFC uh, as he's about to, to fight. So Francis has done it in a very different way and he... Look, sometimes, sometimes, all the time, even when people say in MMA, it's not about the money. I very, very rarely believed him. Like, never believed him, almost. And, uh, you know, when when they're talking about their next fight or when they're talking about their contract or wherever it might be. Um, but with Francis, it's hard not to believe him. Now, he, he admits as well, okay, money is definitely a part of it. But it's more about freedom for him. Uh, and I know Ariel kind of asked him a few different times, what does that specifically mean? And maybe he hadn't the greatest answer for that, but I feel like he wants, what he wants is to be an independent contractor, which the UFC, you know, fighters are supposed to be. Um, but an independent contractor, now, I'm no expert in this myself, but I've listened to podcasts down through the years. Listen, obviously, I'm in Ireland, so it's not the, the same thing here as it is in America, but I've listened to, you know, Dave Meltzer talks about it all the time with the wrestlers. They're in the same situation, and obviously other journalists who had covered that sort of thing as well as MMA have spoken about it down through the years. And from my understanding, basically, you know, it's an independent contractor, but still a contractor, and they're under a contract to the UFC for an amount of time, and they can only work for the UFC for that amount of time, and in their gonzo, you know? Or if the UFC decide to give them another contract, they can come back, but if the UFC also decide, well, we don't like that contract anymore, they can also be gone. So it's uh, it's a, it's an odd situation. Obviously, it makes very little sense. Like, if you're a, a painter or a decorator, and you have a contract with, you know, Sean Sheehan, should you be able to go and do, you know, Joe Bloggs' uh, house the, the, the next week or whatever when you're not working in my house? Yeah, you you can, but it's a bit of a different situation with uh with MMA and all like that. And like if and you know we should we appreciate it's a different situation, but if it is a different situation, should the UFC have do- these people as employees or some sort of combination of employees or independent contractors? I don't know. That's a, a maybe a conversation for a different day and for someone you know smarter than me, more knowledge of the country and how things work in that country than than I am. But for Francis. I look. He has stood up for himself. He has refused a uh, an extension to his contract or a new contract with more money because he doesn't feel maybe he doesn't feel like it's enough money. I'm sure he doesn't, but he also doesn't feel like it's a, there's enough freedom in it. And when he says freedom, I assume he means the freedom to go and fight maybe Tyson Fury or uh, you know box Tyson Fury in a boxing match, um, and then you know come back to the UFC or take fights elsewhere. The problem with that is. Uh, you know, okay, there are many problems with that. Look, the UFC have done this before with Conor McGregor. You know, they have obviously let Conor McGregor box um, against Floyd Mayweather, but they've let other people compete as well before. They've let people compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments and everything like that. The The big issue is it's a massive money spinner. That uh, bo- uh, boxing bout would be if it was to happen, but will it happen as well <laughs> is a big thing, and that's maybe where I differ from a, a lot of other people. But for Francis... He believes it can. He be- believes that he can earn more money outside of the UFC. May- maybe he believes that. But he also believes that he is willing to stand up and fight. And he's willing to do what he can to get what he can. I don't know if this is uh, a broader thing. If he's trying to, to do it for everyone else, it doesn't seem so. It seems like he's trying to do it for himself. Which, you know, it starts at home, I suppose. So 
I'm absolutely behind his in- endeavor. I think the UFC, he should fight. Best case scenario for Francis Ngannou, I think, is the UFC. He signs a new contract with the UFC, which allows him to have that one boxing bout if it can happen. I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm a bit skeptical. Um, and then come back and fight for the UFC. Now, is that enough freedom for him? Is that what he wants? Maybe it is. And if it was, I think that's maybe doable. If he wants the freedom to fight, you know, his next uh, fight in the UFC and then box Tyson Fury and then fight in the UFC and then box Deontay Wilder and then... I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the UFC are going to want that or allow that. I think they'll probably let him go before they let that happen. But what has happened now is Francis Ngannou has obviously uh, an injury. Um, It was an MCL tear, he said, wasn't it? And a hurt ACL. So MCL is not as serious as an ACL. I'm no doctor. I'm not physio or anything. But from uh, watching soccer now through the years, I believe that's the the case. And and that's what the way it usually is. So I don't think that would necessarily put him out for a year, depending on how bad the ACL obviously is. If the ACL is bad, it could be, you know, six to nine months to, to get back. And then maybe a year before he fights. So there is this champions clause where... You know, it's either three fights or a year, whichever um, whichever goes down less. If you have three fights in six months, you're out of it in three fights, you know. So uh, it seems like he's going to bide the, his time and wait that out, unless an agreement obviously can be made in the meantime. So that's how he's standing up and fighting. He's willing, I think, and he's kind of said it, to, to wait for that. Um a lot of people are also saying, you know, and and Ariel addressed this as well. What if they what if they strip you? And he's like, well, if they strip me, I'm out of my contract, and it's all well and good. Which does suggest I asked earlier, does he really want out of his contract? With that answer, it does suggest that he does want out of his contract because he's he was like, well, I, I'd be kind of happy if they strip me, which um, which is interesting because I get to the next part of it now and what I think about it. Um, so I, I first things first, right? The big thing about this is. The uh, the Tyson Fury uh, boxing match. I don't. I think if that was on the table, f- wasn't on the table even, or or wasn't, uh, you know, possibly on the table. I think Francis probably would have taken uh, the contract the UFC gave him, or maybe you know, fight out his contract and now be looking for maybe a bit of a better contract. They probably would have given it to him, you know, even. You know, I don't I, look. I don't think it would have worked out in such an uh, an ignominious way, or uh, you know, there wouldn't have been as much animosity between the two of them if it was just Francis maybe looking for for more money out of the contract or saying, okay, I'll wait. I won't sign my contract. Wait till we have this fight, and then I'll sign the contract. Lots of fighters have done in that in the past. I think the UFC, you know, kind of understand that a little bit, and maybe with a champion, they wouldn't be happy enough. But they have the champions clause as well, so they're kind of covered. So I I think that would have been okay on on both sides. Maybe you know, I'm sure the UFC wouldn't have liked it, but they I think they would have understood it with the the Fury matchup. I think. You know, they don't. So that's the kind of the crux uh, of all of this. Um, but can the f- boxing bout between Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury actually happen? Will it happen? I'm very skeptical. Like, first things first, right? We saw uh, there during the week, Francis Ngannou, uh, sorry, uh, Tyson Fury and um, uh, Dillian White had, uh, you know, the purse bids. The, I think Frank Warren won it at something like 41 million. Um, and that fight looks like it's going to be happening between the, the two of them uh, in the middle of the year or something like that. Uh, it, you know, if, if all goes well, if there's no injuries, if the I, I don't know about the, how it works, but uh, I assume that'll be happening. And I think uh, there's a, a split of 80-20 or something like that. So um, Tyson will be getting... 32, I think, and 8 or something like that for uh, for uh, Dillian White. 
So it looks like that's going to happen, right? Um, and also when you when, look when you see that, okay, that's a fight that looks like it's going to happen. And Usyk looks like he's going to fight Joshua. Maybe if that happens, it looks like um, Tyson Fury is going to fight the winner of that. And if he fights the winner of that, maybe we could see a Wilder versus Joshua. I assume Usyk is going to win again. Maybe we could see Wilder versus Joshua. And if Joshua was to win that, you could see Fury fighting him down the line. Or, you know, Fury has been known in the past to have a few warm-up bouts and get back and then, you know, have a, have a big bout after that. What I'm The point I'm saying with this is, where's Francis Ngannou going to fit into all of that? It, maybe he could be one of those warm-up bouts, you know? But if he is one of those warm-up bouts, how much money is, is there going to be in that? Like, Fury... Fury is very smart, and he knows that Ngannou uh, could garner him a good bit of money, and it's going to be an easy fight. But also, these other ones are going to garner him a lot more money, and you know, some some of them, especially the Joshua one, is a ten times of a bigger fight. That if Joshua can get back and get a win, like if he beats Usyk, it's a massive, massive fight still, and it's not as easy as Ngannou. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's another fight, a very very winnable fight uh, for uh, for Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury has option after option after option. He's getting thirty million for fighting Dillian White. Dillian White, God Almighty! Like he has so many options. Tyson Fury can go in there and pick up money all the time. And if Francis Ngannou makes it hard in any way, he won't fight him. Like, it's just not going to happen. Tyson Fury doesn't need Francis Ngannou at all. He has option after option after option where he'll get big money, where there's purse bids. You know, you've Eddie Hearn, you've Frank Warren, you have uh, the, the lads in America, obviously, who are all going to be bidding to put on these different fights. And a big problem as well for Francis Ngannou in that is he doesn't have a promoter. You know, he doesn't have a boxing promoter who's going to put in his bid, who's going to fight for his side, who's going to fight for his percentage. He also doesn't like have a ranking in the WBA, WBO or any of that. So it's going to have to be like this special attraction thing. What, how, how's that going to look with, uh, you know, with money, with splits and everything like that? Like, is Tyson Fury going to give him 20% like he gave Dillian White? Uh, you know, or, or he was uh, mandated to give Dillian White. I, I don't think so, even though Dillian White was given out about the 20%. It, there's just too many aspects, too many different things that have to come together for uh, for uh, Francis Ngannou to get that fight, right? So that's why I'm very skeptical about that fight. And now, let's forget about my skepticism for a second. Let's say it does happen. Let's say Francis Ngannou fights Tyson Fury. Look, without being too presumptuous or anything, everyone has a puncher's chance, especially if you hit as hard as Francis Ngannou. But Tyson Fury is going to win that fight, right? And win it in spectacular easy fashion probably i think we would all agree with that you know i think if you asked francis ingano he'd probably agree with it too let's let's all be honest here right then what happens right what what happens in like how much is francis ingano going to get for that fight if dillian white's getting eight million what's francis ingano going to get is it is is he going to get as much as he's going to get? Let's say he gets 10 million, right? 10 million. That's that's a good bit of money. I think he said to, on Ariel, he left 7 million behind him for the UFC with the with the new uh, contract he was offered. I don't know if it was that one or two fights, but let, let's say that's the amount of money he left behind him. That, there's not that big a gap between, okay, one massive boxing bout and say, let's say if he had three MMA fights and got that amount of money out of it. Okay, let, let's go with that for a second. What happens then? Like, let's say he loses that. Does he still have a draw in boxing? Are other big boxing champions where he's going to get loads of money 
going to fight Francis Ngannou. I, I don't think so. I, I just don't think that's a thing that's going to happen. I don't think Anthony Joshua will be in for a fight with Ngannou or Andy Ruiz or anything. And, you know, I'm sure he could get maybe someone lower down the line to fight him, but it's not going to be a big money-spinning fight where he earns 10 million. He's going to be earning a lot less even than I'd say he'd get in the UFC with a new contract. So that's a big issue. And this, I feel like this is one of the things, and this is the point I was talking about earlier, where people are rolling in behind him as they should be to fight, but also like not looking at what's coming after, even if it goes in a best-case scenario where he gets the massive Tyson Fury fight. Look, maybe he gets a Tyson Fury fight, gets 10 million, goes, thanks for the cheese, I'll see you never fight again. And if that's what he wants, absolutely he should do it. That should be his only road. He should go for that and do that. But he do- it doesn't seem like that. It seems like Francis wants to have a long career and lots of different fights. And what comes after? Like, is he going to... Okay, comes back to MMA. Let's say the UFC is off the table. Because I had said earlier, best case scenario is the big Tyson Fury money spinning bout and him back to the UFC on a better contract for good money. Where else can pay that good money after a Tyson Fury fight? Can 1FC pay it? Can Bellator pay it? Can... Uh, we've already established that I don't think boxing will pay it as much. Maybe they'll pay a bit. You know, but I don't think any of the big boxers are going to want to fight against Francis Ngannou um, or any other promotions. PFL, I know I probably left a couple out there, but who, who's going to pay all that money to Francis Ngannou? More than, say, $3 million that the UFC might pay him for each fight. Well, are Bellator going to pay that? Like, after they lost the zone deal? Uh, you know, speaking to people at Bellator, the last time I was above in Ireland, they're like, you know, it's more about cutting costs now than, than signing new people, unless, you know, they can get them for more of a reasonable price, which is, you know, is it, interesting. Is it interesting? You know, they, how could they not? You know, how could they not? When was the last time Bellator signed someone? Big name, big money. You know, like, like a Rory McDonald or whatever. Like this Kayla Harrison thing looks like it's not going to happen for Bellator either. It just um, it just feels like Bellator are out of that game for a minute. PFL, may, you know, maybe they'll put it in, but who's he going to fight in PFL? Who's he going to fight in one? Who's he going to fight in any of these places? Like, okay, that might be a, a devil's advocate here, but I think we've heard none of that anywhere in the media. Like, I may, maybe it is. I'm not consuming all the media, don't get me wrong, but it feels like no one is talking about that point of view. What is coming afterwards for Francis Ngannou if... It all goes wrong. Like my, as I said again, my best case scenario, and I think what he should be looking for, and what Francis Ngannou needs is a bit of direction because I feel like he's a little bit all over the place. And you could even hear in that interview with Ariel. Ariel was kind of saying that to him. He was like saying, "What do you actually want? What are you actually saying? Where do you actually want to go?" Which is exactly because so Ariel understands as well. You know, a hundred percent of that. If the direction for Francis was, let me fight against Tyson Fury, and then I'm yours for the next 10 fights for this amount of money, which is a good amount of money, you know? Not not 600 grand or anything like that. Big money, big pay-per-view points as long as he says champion. And if we could get the UFC to agree to that, then I think it, that's the best-case scenario. For him to get out of the UFC or release from the UFC is the worst-case scenario, I think, for Francis Ngannou, but he doesn't really understand that. Or people are not telling him that. I, I honestly believe that because uh, let's say he doesn't get... Oh, I've, I've discussed how he does get the Fury fight. Let's say he doesn't get the Fury fight. What then? What then? He's just going to another MMA organization who is probably going to pay him maybe the same as he got from the UFC in the past, not that much more, and who's, you know, they might allow him to have the freedom. You know, I'm sure if he was in Bellator, there'd be no problem. They'd allow him to fight Tyson Fury. But is he going to fight Tyson Fury after beating fucking Ryan Bader or Shek Conga? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, 
uh, Lyndon on that, did, you know, we have to be a little bit realistic with Francis Ngannou, absolutely, while still rolling in behind him and, and kind of hoping for the best. But I hope he has smart people behind him. I hope he has people telling him the right thing and not just telling him, like, oh, go, Francis, yeah, and pushing him on. and uh, Because that will get you so far, you know, there's a, a saying here in Ireland, keep going, you go too far. And uh, I hope that's not the case for Francis Ngannou because he's a, a world generational talent. He's, he's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I would hate to see him, you know, gone, not not just gone from MMA, but maybe gone from combat sports. Um, and that, w- that would be very, very sad. So I hope this all works out well. I hope he can get the massive uh, Fury bout and I hope he can come back to MMA and, you know, be in massive heavyweight world championship fights in the UFC for years and years and years to come. Or look, I hope if Bellator or PFL or one of those people are able to pay him, I hope that'd be fantastic as well. But I have a bit of skepticism, as I think most people probably should. But anyway, right, let's talk about next week's main event. I've gone very long now and on that. But sure, look it, we uh, we uh, we have chats here, and that's what <laughs> that's what it's about. Um, so Sean Strickland, so Sean Strickland, Sean Sheehan talking about Sean Strickland there, that's, um, that's a bit of a mouthful, uh, versus Jack Hermanson. Uh, it's a very, very interesting matchup. <coughs> Sorry, as I choked it out here. So I went back and I watched, usually what I like to do, and I, I spoke about it last week a little bit, I like to watch portions of fights, early portions of fight, fights late, full fights. And what I also like to do is, you see someone is fighting, uh, Sean Strickland, you go back and w- watch him against someone like you know who's a very good boxer. You see someone who's fighting Jack Romanson, you go back and watch him fighting someone who's a good athlete, good jiu-jitsu or maybe good wrestler and stuff like that. It's hard for both of these guys to, f- to find opponents like the other person. Very hard, I think. For Sean Strickland, a little bit easier because he has fought down a welterweight and he fought Usman, who's obviously a very good a very good wrestler. Um, he fought Tom Breeze as well, who's a very good athlete. In different ways to Marshman or um, Hermanson. I always I always get Jack Marshman and Jack Hermanson mixed up, in not in the people, but in the, the name. So if I say Marshman during this at any time, uh, my apologies. But anyway, the Strickland fights. What, look, first of all, what Sean Strickland is very good at Obviously, his boxing is fantastic. His jab, his output has improved massively over the years. From that Tom Breeze fight, it was at UFC 199. So that was a long time ago. I watched that this morning. His output has improved massively since that in his early days in, in his career moving up. You know, putting on extra muscle. His cardio has gotten even better, I think. Um, and his ability to be first is what makes him great. Lots of people can box, lots of people can throw lovely boxing combinations, but his ability to be first is fantastic. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks with Robert Whitaker as well. I think that's what makes him fantastic as well. And he kind of breaks the rhythm of other people. If you watched the Uriah Hall fight back, his most recent fight for Sean Strickland, that's exactly what it is. He was first broke the rhythm, didn't allow Uriah Hall to start his attacks at all. And I think really that's what Sean Strickland is great because... You look at Sean Strickland and he's a very upright boxing stance, which is something we've said down through the years. That's going to be a tenant of MMA, that that doesn't work in MMA. You know, but Sean Strickland makes it work. And I think the way he makes it work is he does not allow you to be first, whether it's with the wrestling, whether it's with your boxing or striking or kick, whatever it might be. He is always the one running the dance. And that's what Jack Hermanson needs to take away from him. He really needs to do it. And if you watched Usman fight... What Usman did very well in that fight, and now it was a, a longer time ago, and, and the output has been up, and he has changed since that. But what he did was get in on that single leg, that front leg, all the time, catch him and put him down. 
Usman was fighting out of the southpaw stance as well, so it was a little bit easier. But I think Hermanson can switch stances and can do that as well. And if he's gone back and watched that fight and grabs a single leg, I think that could be a way forward for, for him. But for Hermanson, he is more of a high body lock takedown artist. He goes in and catches you inside in the body lock and takes you down. Um, Kelvin Gastelum fight, David Branch fight, ended up submitting both of them. And on the ground, his submissions are absolutely fantastic. Now, in the Kelvin Gastelum fight, it was actually Kelvin who ended up taking him down. But Hermanson instigated kind of that clinch and is happy to go to the ground whether oh, as i nearly break my nail whether he goes to the uh <laughs> whether he goes to the bottom or where he goes to the top pain game here and John, i'll get through it don't worry uh <laughs> but uh he's he's just fantastic in that position if and and that i think is a big way to attack sean strickland as well because strickland boxes so much and he is forced to that boxing it is hard to get in on the legs, to get in on the single leg now, and harder now than it was back when he was fighting Usman. You know, Usman is very fast as well. And that's one thing I do think uh, that Strickland has struggled with a little bit, it's easy for me to say, in that Tom Breeze fight as well. Tom Breeze is a fantastic athlete. And I think for, you know, for portions of that fight, he was winning large portions, but that speed, I think, was an issue for him. Hermanson is very fast, but very big as well. You know, not to go full Daniel Cormier here as well, but, you know, Strickland made the weight class below. I don't think Hermanson could. No, he probably has. Uh, at some stage, oh, no, uh, as, uh, as Cormier made the mistake last year. But you get what I mean. I do think when you're more of a boxing-orientated guy, when you're throwing jabs inside and you're Jack Hermanson, you're big and tall. Like, if that jab and it comes whiffing past your head, even if you do a thing like where you catch that jab inside or if it's going to the body and you catch him inside or you get like that underhook inside, that's what Hermanson needs. He needs to just stall that jab. Even if he's taking a couple to, to, to catch that, to get the upper upper body body lock and to put Strickland on the ground, that's what he needs to do. That's really, really what he needs to do. I talked about the, the, um, the front leg... Uh, single leg takedown which is also a massive thing if you can get that I think it'll be you know full steam ahead Jack Hermanson here but I also think the body lock inside would be a big thing on the feet Hermanson was it the F- Vittori fight let me let me just pull it up here um, that, that he struggled with boxing in that fight uh, let me just pull it up here I have it in front of me yeah it was the Vittori fight that was two fights ago where he, he struggled and look it's one of those ones where if this turns into a boxing match and it's at the end of the jab and both lads are boxing, I think Strickland win that all day, every day. Honestly, I do. Even though uh, Hermanson is big and he's bigger, we saw what Vittori did to him. I think Strickland is a better boxer, even Vittori. Vittori, you know, fights out of the southpaw, makes it tougher as well a lot of the time. And I, I, I think that made it a victory for Strickland is more assured. Obviously, you know, Hermanson could land a big shot and knock him out, uh, possibly. But I think on the ground... Hermanson has a massive chance, but not as big a chance as Strickland on the feet, I think, uh, in terms of like a five-round decision or something like that for, for Strickland. Strickland is a very good wrestler. He, Usman struggled to take him down at times even, but he's always going to take him down because he's that good. But in other fights as well, not just to fight off and not stop the wrestling attacks, but when he does get into uh, wrestling attacks against the cage, he's good takedown defense, and he's no mug there in, in that position whatsoever. I think the, the, the way forward with that body lock, as I mentioned earlier, is that... It's not one where you put him against the fence and then try to drag him down. You have the body lock. Maybe the body lock is close to the fence, but it's usually a bit out from the fence. You throw him and they land straight in their back, you know? And that, I think, is what Hermanson needs to do to win the fight. And he needs to get a submission. Now, it's easier said than none. Sean Strickland has said, no mug on the ground in jiu-jitsu or in wrestling at all. Um, and 
you know, if it does get there, I'm sure he will be very defensively good. But Hermanson is a finisher. He really is. And he is, you know, we saw him training with Hamzad uh, in his wrestling. I'm sure his wrestling has improved after that. Uh, as I'm not training, but in, in his uh, in, in some sort of competition. But his jiu-jitsu, like you you'd submit Brand, you submit Gaslam and others like that. You know you're going to be very good. And, you know, that last fight against Edmund Shabazian as well, where Shabazian's a pretty good boxer. That will actually stand him, I think, uh, in this fight with... Um, Sean Strickland it's kind of a good warm-up fight for that fight if that makes sense so uh, I'll give my pick on, on the betting show uh, which will be out tomorrow or the day after possibly and I'll, I'm sure I'll have a bet on that as well but it's a very intriguing fight very intriguing matchup for me and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. and obviously tune into the lads as well uh, Shillian and Duffy this week will have a breakdown of the full card because um, you know I'm, I'm sure there are some gyms there and they'll, they'll get out those hidden gyms but for me, not great. I like Punahelis Ariano. I think he's good. Uh, and there's a few more people on, on the undercard as well. Ramsabov as well. I think he's a very, very good fighter. I think he's in the co-main event. Uh, so, yeah, not, not, the, uh, not the best guard in the world. But sure, look, it, we'll have something to do on Saturday night anyway. Right. I leave it at that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you liked it, give it a thumbs up. Subscribe. There's loads of other great stuff. We're on Spotify now as well. Look up, uh, I think it's Sherdog Radio Network or something like that uh, on Spotify. I'm sure maybe there'll be a link in the description here. Uh, shout out to my guy, uh, John Brannigan, as well, who does absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, so, yeah as I mentioned on Spotify, so you can listen to these. I know people have been looking for the audio versions uh, as well, so it's great to have them up on uh, the audio as well. So uh, I'll leave it at that. My name is Sean Sheehan for Shardog.com, and I'll see you all next time.